So this year, we are starting off the new year with a series on suffering. A couple weeks ago, we introduced a tension that we all may feel in life. This is the tension between alleviating suffering and embracing suffering. So we hold these in tension, alleviate and embrace, longing to bring about change and longing to radically accept what has taken place, to find a solution, to fix things, and to sit within the pain. And so while one or the other may be stressed by popular culture or by the groups that we are a part of, mm. a full life and a realistic life has both, alleviating suffering and embracing suffering. We see this tension navigated in really helpful ways through the life of Jesus, who is the synthesis, the bringing together of embracing and alleviating. And navigating this tension is a helpful reminder that our identity is not our suffering, nor is it removed from our suffering. We've been using the word dialectic to help mm -hmm. our understanding with mm -hmm. this. So Vince, I'm wondering if you can just give us a really quick reminder of what a dialectic yeah. is. Dialectic is sometimes used in academic settings or it's used in psychology settings. So perhaps you're familiar with dialectical behavior therapy um, or you've experienced that before. And the idea is that um, the, the idea is that a uh, greatest the greatest wisdom can emerge from holding two things in tension, not choosing one or the other, but allowing a new sort of truth to emerge uh, from hold from the tension. And so, you, uh, the words that in the in the academic version of a dialectic are a thesis, and then an antithesis. Maybe you've heard those words before, and then you get a synthesis. And so, what we're sort of suggesting um, with uh, a little bit of why we wanted to talk about uh, that balance of alleviating and and, um, and embracing suffering is that in general in the modern world, as we've mentioned throughout these messages, we, we're, we're really comfortable with alleviating suffering. That's our knee-jerk response most of the time. We want to advance science and technology to alleviate as much suffering as possible. And that's a really, really good thesis. That, that's good, like great thing about the modern world. And also, um, there are these times in life, we shared some last time we were up here a couple weeks ago, uh, there are different experiences um, that especially those who are marginalized or on, on, on the outside of, of power are going to experience that as an antithesis to that. Like, there's no way to alleviate this. If we continue beating our head against a locker thinking that we can alleviate it, we're just bitter and cold and, uh, and that's not getting us anywhere. So the antithesis is there's some degree of embracing suffering that's required in life. And, and, and as, as Haley was mentioning, we sort of see the, that balance, the, the new truth emerge in, by looking at Jesus as this perfect example of a synthesis of those two. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So today we are going to take some um, helpful questions that we saw in Discord a couple weeks ago, and then a couple of questions that we've been thinking about on our own as well. And we're going to have a question and response, not a Q&A, because we don't have the answer. No answers, none whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, we have some ideas, though. I really like Q&R. I really yeah, need, we, we need to move toward that. That's like a, you know, like politically correct term that I'm, I'm all for. Like, <laughs> yes, we should say more Q&R, less Q&A. Certainty. Not, not going to arrive at that this morning, but I think we can, we can helpfully talk about things. Yes. All right. And if you've got more questions or ideas mm. that come to mind too, please continue to put those in Discord. In the chat. Yes, yes. please. Please do so. Um, all right. Uh, so the first one that we wanted to pull uh, was uh, we're going to pull the, the chat from Discord directly uh, from uh, Rebecca, who had a really wonderful, like, just turn of phrase. Um, she said, I would love uh, more of an exploration of which sufferings are worth the journey of acceptance 
uh, embrace, right? Mm -hmm. And which are worth a dedicated opposition to their existence. Just really well, really well written there, Rebecca. Um, so I thought I thought that was really, really well. Um, it, it captures those two sides. Um, and then I, I think a, a, a worthwhile conversation is which sufferings are which, right? I, I, think, I think that's kind of where, where all of us want to go. And uh, my response rather than answer to that is, <laughs> I, gosh, I just don't know if there's a perfect criteria for a distinction. Yeah. I, don't, like, I think it, it makes sense that we want that. It makes sense that we would long for it just to feel obvious that like, oh, when I'm experiencing X, Y, or Z, it obviously falls into this category. And when I'm experiencing A, B, and C, it obviously falls into this category. I don't think we have that. Now, I think that there are cases where it's a little bit more clear and a little bit more hazy, and maybe we can touch on those. Um, but yeah, I, j I think like even, even meaningless or random or unfair suffering, mm -hmm. like I, I, th I mean, in my, the, important to my story is, is experience of cancer, which I think is meaningless suffering. There is no, there's no greater meaning behind cancer. It just is a, a, a terrible thing that we experience. Or a hurricane, or racism, meaningless sufferings, unfair sufferings, even those, like, they have to be heroically transformed into meaning making, or we do become that bitter, cold, cynical person who is blame shifting and, 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 the, the, like, there's no way forward there, right? Uh, so I think, and I think that's actually one of God's primary activities in the world is taking things that uh, that were meaningless or unfair or unjust, and 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 like humiliating those horrible things to redeem them into something that shapes us for the better. I think that's a beautiful uh, thing that people have found in faith for many many centuries. Um, so I guess my overall response, uh, you know, of, of the idea of like, it, can we can we identify which is which? Um, before maybe maybe you can texture this a little bit more about you know, like what's clear and what's not. But I do think this is this is my bend toward why we need a spiritual life. Is like, in each context, I need to present this new thing that I'm facing or this new experience that's staying inside me and rattling around. God, what do I do here? And then the next day, maybe it's the same suffering, but because. I'm different than I was the day before, I'm feeling differently about it, and I still need to present it. And maybe, maybe the wisdom for me there from God is the reverse, you know? And so it's always day by day, moment by moment, um, I, I, think, I, I think this is the, the reason for a prayer life. Um, maybe I'll stop there and you can texture, and then I, I have one more thought though before yeah. we finish, yeah. Yeah, I think something that may be helpful is thinking about if this is an instance of suffering that happened in the past or if it's an ongoing okay. suffering. And so okay, that, so, so t uh, yeah, play, play that out. Why are those different? Yeah. Um, I mean, with the past being the past, there's this term from DBT therapy that uh, of radical acceptance that sometimes we just need to radically accept what has taken place. Mm. And there's no really going back to that problem, that mm. instance, and fixing it in mm -hmm. any way. Mm -hmm. So embrace would almost always be your your only option yes. there. Yes. Um, but if it's a matter of ongoing suffering, I think it's going to be a lot more of a blend of mm. the two. So it's not just something that happened to me long ago, but I'm, I'm, act, I'm actively being hurt by a relationship or by uh, a certain situation in my life that then we, then we probably do want to activate that alleviate side a little more. Yeah, and for me, I've started to think about um, embracing suffering as a starting point, not a landing place, mm. Mm. Um, especially if the suffering is ongoing, mm -hmm. that um, 
seeing embrace as a starting point kind of helps shift this into a both and instead of an either or, which I love to do. Um, This inward work of acceptance that allows us to pursue healing and meaning making for our individual lives, that's certainly a part of embrace. But there's also this process of acceptance that has to take place in order to oppose suffering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it feels like a really helpful launching point to me. I like that. And then it sort of takes away some of the pressure. Uh, it's a little bit like what Ben was evoking. We're like, I'm, I've been doing this for 30 seconds. Why don't I feel peace yet? Like, I've been, I've been trying to embrace my suffering. Why haven't I embraced it yet? To think of it as a starting point maybe takes away the pressure of I have to get to some arrived point where I've embraced that suffering. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so the, the word that, uh, that, uh, that we introduced a couple of weeks ago that I, I think is helpful to bring in here is courage. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the, the important thing that we want to distinguish when we use the word courage in religious settings is we're not talking about courage to be certain, like consequences be damned. Um, I think that is sometimes taught in American Christian settings of what courage is, is you're certain, even if those other people are telling you, you can't be certain. And I don't think it's that. I think it's actually, it's almost the reverse. It's courage to face uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, the titan of theology that would have talked about this in, in the mid 20th century is this uh, theologian, Paul Tillich, who uh, wrote this uh, book, The Courage to Be. And the idea is that you, the courage to be, like to exist in the face of things that threaten you with non-existence. The things that, you know, that 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 uh, suffering or the things that like you're going to die someday or meaninglessness in life. I- against that, all, all of those great threats of uncertainty, which aren't going to go away. I can't like wish them out of existence. Do I have the courage to live? Do I have the courage to choose to be? Uh, and it's this really beautiful, I, I think, idea that I can really get behind. If courage is not courage to be certain, but it's this, it, like, courage to be certain is almost like a negative coping mechanism. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's no different than like, uh, binging food or a substance or an entertainment, right, to like feel better about myself. I'm, I'm just gonna choose, you know, like, oh, I, I'm certain about fill in the blank. But the, the idea that so much of life is never going to be so locked down. And so I, like, what, what is part of moving forward in life uh, when we all face suffering is the courage to just put one foot in front of the other and, 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 and say, I will continue to exist even so. Um, that to me is really beautiful. And it, and it strikes me as it's also that kind of embracing being a starting point rather than a landing point. Yeah. Yeah. There's a um, Anne Lamott quote that this reminds me of. She says that courage is fear that has said its prayers. Love it. Love it. Yes. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. And I think that you're, the spiritual element you're getting at, it really is such a partnership with God, not mm-hmm. trying to find the right answer of how to handle sufferings or how to handle things in your life, that there's this like certain faithful way to navigate it, but instead being able to partner with God as things are unfolding. Um, that fear isn't the the opposite of courage, yes, but yes. we're seeing ourselves through fear by um, partnering with God. I, I just think that anybody who is uh, simplifying life or reducing life down to basic like like rules or principles that always hold true, I just think they're trying to sell me something. And 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 this is this is a this is an antidote to that. It is there will be uncertainties that you cannot solve. There will be will be asking, should I alleviate or should I embrace? And we don't know what the answer is, but what it, wh- where does God exist in that? God is the one who is helping me face that uncertainty alongside me, not the one who's like has the certain answer and for some reason is withholding from me. Yes, yeah. yeah exactly. All right, should we shift to the next question? Yeah, let's do the next question. question. Mm-hmm. So Ed wrote, suffering is not experienced equally through different communities and identities. Equity plays a role in this conversation. Mm -hmm. 
So the question that we've got out of that is what role does equity play in this dialectic of alleviate and embrace? So it absolutely plays a huge role. On the embrace side, I think it's really problematic in line with some of what we discussed last weekend um, for MLK weekend, for someone who holds privilege and power to tell someone else, you must embrace your suffering. Right, right, That's right. problematic. Yes. Um, for an example, the white clergy that King is addressing in letter from Birmingham jail that are just telling him to wait in the midst of injustice, just just wait, embrace what's going on. That is um, problematic and, and not helpful. And I mean, that's often the part of the Dr. King story that is not usually told today where Dr. King is transformed from this person who was a pariah in the 60s and 70s to now like everybody is celebrating him, but we don't talk about those things. We don't talk about those more cutting, biting things that he said of like, hey, this is, this this takes some uh, some sacrifice on the part of those who are not used to having so much suffering that they have to alleviate. Yeah. yeah. And at the same time, the message of embrace your suffering may be a lifeline of survival if right? it's being communicated from someone who has actually experienced the suffering firsthand. Yes. He yes. critiques the white clergy that are telling him to wait and be patient, but then he also, in some of his own prayers with his own people in his own congregations, is saying... Just how you have to have patience to endure. There will be justice now. I fully believe that. And there's a greater justice to come. And those message of patience sound very, very different depending on the context. I love that. One of the things that I remember learning uh, several years ago when we did a, uh, a series of messages called God of the Oppressed, and we sort of um, tried to take a look at uh, the different... Um, the different images of God from different marginalized positions that are represented in our communities and that are represented in uh, like the rich theological texts out there. And one of the things that I remember we took away with is it matters who says it. Yes. And and that is so like for a, a white guy who like me who has like never had to like claw for a voice in a room. I mean, may, I'm I'm I don't know. I, I kind of disappear in parties because I'm a little bit introverted in that setting. But like, if there's a microphone and there's rules, like who's not gonna ask questions if I like if I come up right? And so I don't get it. I want to say everything. I want to be like, but I I figured that out and I wrote it and it's and it's perfect and it's an airtight logic and shouldn't I just be the communicator of that? And then I realize no, it matters who says it. Mm -hmm. And it's and and sometimes like. Coming from me, something is wrong, whereas coming from a different person who experiences life in a different way and from a different perspective and a more marginalized perspective, something is right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's also some other elements of embrace I've been thinking about because of our conversation around King's work last week. Um, a lot of times we're using this to mean acceptance or meaning making. I think there's also an element of embrace that means taking responsibility for. Mm, mm -hmm. So to collectively and individually embrace our complacency and injustices, then we can allow ourselves to move past shame and actually act in effective ways. So whether we're talking about just a personal wrongdoing or some systemic injustice that we've benefited from, I think there's a lot of importance in taking responsibility for our role, and that is a part of embrace. Yeah. Um, Brené Brown says that shame is not an effective motivator, and so if we want to actually be able to move forward, this act of embrace, of taking responsibility for, is a really freeing thing that helps us be moved forward into justice, not from this way of like, oh, I feel so bad about myself and now I need to change, of no, I can see a greater vision for what good could take place. I can see the alleviating work that I need to participate in, but that required me to actually embrace the role that I have played. That's interesting. So it's not it, it's it's embracing being on the side of 
uh, complicit with somebody else's suffering, not just embracing my own experience of suffering. Yeah, and it's yeah. a helpful reminder that embracing is not the stamp of approval. Mm, I'm not mm -hmm. saying I'm on, the, I'm complacent in this, and that's great. Yes. No, I'm saying I'm embracing this as something that I, whether knowingly or unknowingly, have participated in, so that I can move forward in an act of Absolutely. alleviating. Absolutely, and I think that gets to like, how can one have courage, like we're talking about, or do that embrace work? Uh, I mean, something that I speak on regularly here on Sundays is the more philosophical side of this. Of like, uh, do, are we when we when we embrace suffering, are we saying that God approved of that suffering, or even are we saying God passively allowed that mm -hmm. suffering to happen? And it's really important to me to say no. It's actually like my my read of like the image of God that, that I find worthy of worship or that I see reflected in the life of Jesus is a God that isn't actually approving or passively allowing the worst experiences of meaningless suffering in our world. I, but how do I, you know, can you, can you embrace them nonetheless? Absolutely, I think you have to. Uh, and so that's sort of, it's sort of a different conversation. Like we, I, I think I preach kind of regularly about like <laughs> how do we make philosophical sense of that? But it, it's important that we can say that we can embrace suffering without giving it approval. I really like the way you said that. Um, just one more thing I'll add into in terms of alleviating when we're talking about equity. I think it can be tempting for those of us who hold more privilege to separate out personal suffering from systemic suffering, mm. to hold those separately or on some type of scale. Um, but I've been thinking about it the past week or so as a Venn diagram, um, personal suffering and systemic suffering. And for some of us, there may be a lot of overlap of those two categories. And for others, there may not be a whole lot in the middle. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just something to be conscious of when it comes to awareness around differences in energy and resources and capacity, but also awareness around who has the most practice with navigating this dialectic mm -hmm. and navigating the tension of alleviating and embracing and letting those voices lead the way in the conversation. Mm. And so when you're talking about that, that those two circles, like personal suffering would be like, um, Anybody can get ill. Anybody can, you know, um, b get injured and then, you know, have some sort of uh, hospital visit. But then the systemic side would be like, well, but once you're in the hospital, not everybody is treated the same way. Mm -hmm. And there's and there's empirical research to suggest that if you're a, a person of color, you get different treatment. And so, th for some of us, there's going to be more that's in that center area of the Venn diagram, whereas for others of us, there more of it will just be personal. That, yeah. Is that, that, am I describing that correctly? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I, it just impacts our capacity to be able to participate in things. And um, I think there can be a lot of assumption of someone else's role in alleviating or embracing and just being conscious of that, of am mm. I trying to separate out these two categories? Mm. That's another it matters who's has it kind of yes, thing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, do you have anything else on? No, that's, uh, that's, uh, it feels like we've opened up a lot of doors and <laughs> closed none, <laughs> so people, we should move on. Uh, <laughs> um, another question um, that I uh, sort of pulled looking at a lot of the things that people were writing in on Discord a couple of Sundays ago um, is uh, how comforting or not is it to pass on wise words or quotations or scriptures, if we're in a Christian setting, that are meant to encourage one another in suffering? How comforting or not is that? Um, and I think where I, where I come away on this, if I can give as, as, as firm a response as I can, is it is comforting if we're mindful of context. 
it usually is not comforting if we're universalizing. So because there are different kinds of suffering, like they're, they're just lots. And so quotes and proverbs and scriptures from the Bible are addressing all different types. And, and it, can be, it can be shockingly easy to misapply mm -hmm. uh, like a little line taken out of context. But then if you, especially with scripture, if you zoom out a little bit more, you start like if somebody throws a scripture at you, and I'll give an example of this in a second, and you read the one line and it's like, oh, that really applies. But then you zoom out and you read the whole chapter from which that line comes and you're like, oh my God, like, <laughs> what, is going, what, are, what, are you, what is this person trying to say to me? So um, let me, I, I want to give some examples is um, in the Bible, there are lots of examples of uh, responses to meaningless or random or unfair suffering. Uh, example of this would be from the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, which is uh, this sort of, it's, it's sort of the most, I would say, um, uh, let's, if you want to read the Bible and be like, whoa, that's in the Bible, read Ecclesiastes. It's <laughs> awesome. It's just like somebody like endlessly uh, complaining and musing about how the world and life is meaningless. And so it's, it's really a modern book, you know? Um, and uh, what, what like one of the famous lines from Ecclesiastes is, I see the sinful prosper and the righteous die. And, and it's just, it's, what is this meaninglessness? So that's really represented in the scriptures, that idea that there is suffering that happens that has no greater purpose behind it. It's just awful. Why, if, if there was, you know, some sort of like balancing force in the universe that could, that could fix all of this, if there was no such thing as injustice and it was all just a neat, tidy economy, then the righteous would live and prosper and the, and the cruel and the violent would, would, would not. And that's just not the world we live in, right? So we have to represent that. On the other side, there is lots in scripture that talks about suffering that does have purpose. And it is important that we kind of represent that. And so these would be lines like uh, from the book of Hebrews, the Lord disciplines those he loves. And I think, I think in, in those sorts of categories, like we're talking about like the kind of thing that like if I am, if I'm thinking about uh, a, a leadership context and, and I'm seeing somebody step into abilities and capacities that they've never done before. And you know what? I just kind of like, ooh, I'm going to give you a little bit more than you feel like you can handle. And just kind of see if you, you know, sink or swim. It's a little bit destabilizing for that person. It's a it, it kind of feels like some suffering, and yet they come out stronger in the end. That's an example of, like, an experience of a short-term uh, moment of suffering that does have purpose. Now, if we apply the Lord disciplines those he loves to the person who is grieving their mother losing cancer, what happens, Right? That's a problem. That's misapplying one instance or an example of suffering and, apply, and universalizing it to go somewhere else. If we talk to the person who's having a hard time because they're kind of out on their own for the first time in their life and they're, and, and, and they're, being, they're being kind of like, uh, uh, like the, 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 the reel is being let out and oh my gosh, like this is exciting. This is a real chance for them to grow. But their response is just like, nobody takes care of me and they're just blame shifting left and right. But, like they're applying meaninglessness to their experience when it's actually like, I think there's something going on here that has purpose. That also is inappropriate. We, we're, we're misapplying, we're, we're universalizing in those situations. So I think, uh, I think it's really important that we understand what is it that the quote that we're wanting to pass on uh, is, what's the context of it before we pass it on to somebody. Uh, otherwise, we get into these situations where 
we, we are, we're telling somebody who is in deep pain that God allowed their suffering for a reason, or we're telling somebody who's really at, like a, at a crucible moment in their life where something good could come out of it, and we just kind of give them an, a, a raft to skate free. Yeah. yeah. So context, biblical context really matters, and I also mm. think relational context really matters as well. Mm. Um, so a couple more examples that come yeah. to mind for yeah. me. The language of take up your cross mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Matthew. Um, Jesus says, to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Um, it's this idea of like, it's just my cross to carry, it's my suffering to bear. It's so easy to universalize that and apply it everywhere and say that the only way to follow Jesus is through suffering. Mm -hmm. And the logical conclusion that you come to out of that is, well, God must have given me this suffering to draw me closer. That's not a huge leap there. Suffering then is designed by God, and that feels really icky and not fun there. Um, and that's not like a that's not a way forward that kind no. of feeling. That's a that sounds like somebody who's despairing and stuck, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but instead, this idea we could be viewing suffering as just something we encounter inevitably in life, and something we don't have to carry alone. Mm-hmm. So it's the difference of how it's applied. And the other example that comes to mind, where I feel like relationship really matters, um, this scripture out of First Peter that cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In some circumstances, that may feel really comforting and hopeful, that we have a God who cares and is close in suffering and in our anxieties. But then in other circumstances, it may just feel like the suggestion to like stop being anxious. Yeah. Have you tried that? Just to stop being anxious? Yeah. Which is removed and not particularly helpful. So um, this can be really easy to jump to while maybe your anxiety or fear or depression or whatever it may be is on you because you haven't given that to God enough. And so there's these mm. harmful messaging that I think it was Rebecca who said in the chat a couple of weeks ago that the, the church can kind of hop on these things and use it as harmful messaging that really just perpetuates whatever suffering is going on instead of offering something that's comforting. And the danger is when we universalize, right? Because it's not as though that message shouldn't be used in some circumstances. Mm-hmm. It's not as though there aren't relationships where the the correct permission and care and trust is there where one can encourage another with such a phrase or such a scripture or such a, you know, inspiring quote. But to to uh, suggest that like the power is in the quote itself or the scripture itself rather than the the scripture lived out in connection with another human being, that's where we get into problems because then and and then again that's where we start to pick things out and they're divorced from their biblical mm-hmm. context and we start to overapply them when it's like boy I, I just I feel like the, you know like this is the if we get to the greater context we always have to keep in mind of like what is like if we take the largest bird's eye view possible of the ministry of Jesus, are, are, are the things that we're doing or saying supposedly in the name of that divorced in some way? That happens when we somewhere along the way from that bird's eye view down to that very particular verse end up taking something out of context. That's where it happens. We had a concrete answer for this one. Hey, we did. Context matters. Context matters. So there we go. You thought you were coming here without answers. Nope. <laughs> All right, so we can move to our last question here. So this is a question that I had been thinking about since our first conversation. Can we only embrace our own suffering and our own role in suffering? And this is when I'm just genuinely curious to hear Mm. what other people think Mm. as well. Mm. Um, Because I do think that whether we are the one who who has caused or participated in suffering or we are the sufferer, 
there's embrace work that needs to be done in order to move forward. Mm -hmm. We take responsibility for our role so we don't operate out of shame. We use radical acceptance for the sake of our own yes. healing. But I don't know if we can embrace someone else's suffering. And why I think that this question matters, for those of you who have ever felt like you are in a kind of fixer, helper, parental, peacemaker yeah. role in some way. In your family or in your in, workplace. Exactly. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be really tempting to try and like unintentionally micromanage someone else's journey and suffering. Card, um, card carrying. <laughs> this brings to mind for me uh, Vince's friend Natasha, yeah. her yeah. comment from uh -huh. a message a while back when she joined us, um, where we have to trust people to be an expert on themselves. Mm which is just really important. We have to trust people to be an expert on themselves. And we can't assume what someone else's process of alleviating or embracing suffering may be. And that's difficult, mm -hmm. <laughs> especially mm -hmm. when our own suffering is wrapped up in someone else's. Mm. So this is just a, a genuine question I have. Are there times we need to embrace or we can embrace someone else's suffering? Yeah, I, I think I go back to not, not for reasons of equity, but for reasons of just like um, every human being is different. I go back to the it matters who says it, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think one of the life lessons for me has been realizing there are people like really close to me who I deeply care about that I have longed to be in that helper position to help them embrace suffering. And it's just like it's impossible for it to be me and how hard that was to accept. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, how I still kind of like kick against that sometimes and think, no, but I can help because, um, but it's just, sometimes it's just, it's just not possible. It needs to be somebody else who's that helper. It needs to be them, right? It's, it's up to their courage at this point. Um, so yeah, I, I suppose, I think it would, we can maybe take that question too far and think like, you know, we can be too individualistic about mm -hmm. it. Like, not, not my, not my problem, um, and and I think that that's not okay. I've heard it said. Um, I really like this phrase of, um, "We are not responsible for each other, but we are responsible to each other." Mm. And I and I wonder if that is um, somewhat helps you navigate. You know, of like, I cannot do the work for somebody else of embracing because that is something that if we're right, if there is some sort of spiritual thing that has to go on for each person, maybe in every moment, you know. I, I'm not inside another person. I, I can't do that. And yet, um, of course, like the, 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 the drive to want to be there, to be the protector or fixer or helper is not a bad one. It's just a bad one if we, uh, if, if we are not, you know, doing our own spiritual work to say, God, what is wise wisdom in this moment? What is, what is me being present to this person in this moment? And we're just kind of like going compulsively. Chances are we're going to overstep that bound. Yeah, I think boundaries are just really important boundaries, with yeah, this one. Yeah, yeah, and and again, like not not in a way that that um, that chooses one side uh, of 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 attention there of like overly boundaried or you know anything goes, but something that feels like this is wisdom for this moment, and mm -hmm. and it could change and it could morph and it could transform and grow and and all of that. Uh, if if we're able to get away from that idea of like I'm going to arrive at the certain ethic that yes. will always hold true, and I just open the book and you know go to the glossary of this type of suffering, I do this, if we can remove the, the like, the, the idol that, that that is, and instead embrace that more, all right, in this moment now, God, what is wisdom? Uh, that, that's, the, there, that's where I think we start to experience these things as challenging, but not overwhelming. Yeah. And I, I think it feels comforting to think that there would be some type of set ethic or set framework of 
a nice little flow chart of, okay, when, I, when this yes, happens, this is my response and yeah. this is how I handle it. But it's actually so much more comforting to say that we have a partnership with God as things are unfolding, right. as we actively choose what is courageous and right. hopeful and healing moment to moment, that that flexibility actually brings about a lot more comfort than having some setup rule that we can return to. Well, and if we are somebody who has a hard time um, believing all of the time, we talk, uh, we use the phrase a lot that we're all sort of skeptics and believers at the same time mm-hmm. um, in the modern world. And if you're somebody who has a hard time believing, I think it's a much more believable and worthy of worship picture of God to imagine God next to me facing an uncertain future rather than that God who is out in the future, who knows the finish line and just for some reason won't give it to me. <laughs> uh, but the idea of the God who's not outside of time and not outside of this world with me, but but there alongside me. We, in, we, we've just finished the Christmas season celebrating the incarnation. God comes and is among people. That is, to me, a picture that, it, like, that God is being... Uh, I don't know, is, is, is kinder, is less distant, mm-hmm. is more trustworthy, is not lying to me, treats me like an adult. I, th- those, are the, those are the type of people that I want to follow, and I think that's the type of God that I want to follow. And a God that has known suffering and has known yes, the inc- it, it intricacies can speak from, of it. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, Vince, I'd love if you could close us I would in love prayer. To. I would love to pray. All right, so... Um, maybe just in, uh, in, in jumping again off of uh, Ben's uh, helping us with this, the breathing mechanics, we want you to get comfortable, okay? Um, I often uh, relate to what uh, he was saying about I'm, I'm hunched up or I'm, I'm listening to Haley and I'm kind of in like, why am I in that uncomfortable position? position. <laughs> My gosh, this is really weird. So I'm going to sit back. Perhaps you are, uh, ooh, okay. Yeah, you, got, you can close your eyes or open your eyes, whatever helps you to feel relaxed. And maybe I'll start with a few, if you want to use your hand to um, breathe, into your, uh, breathe into your tummy, you can do that. Well, God, here we each are, and we have created several moments this morning uh, to be quiet and to just follow our breathing. And with whatever faith any of us can muster right now, we uh, open ourselves to your wisdom and guidance in this moment for whatever current slate we have of sufferings. Maybe we are deep in the thick of one of those, you know, long-standing sufferings that every person faces, where a loved one is near death, perhaps, or maybe a loved one has died recently. Maybe we are experiencing some sort of limitation in our bodies or in society as we move about. Maybe we've been hurt in a relationship and it is staying with us. Maybe it was a long time ago, but it is still there. Splinters that we just run our hand over every once in a while when we didn't even realize it was there. Oh, that hurts.
And as we sang, God, heal us. Join us as we move, as we attempt, as we try, as we do our best to move the pain through us. We don't want to get stuck in bitterness. We don't want to get stuck in cynicism or blame shifting. We want to move it through us. So we receive your healing this morning. And for those of us who are, are matters now that are coming to mind are less, are less a, a, a splinter that hurts when we run our finger over it and more just an enduring question, I have no idea what the hell I'm supposed to do. God, be that God of immediate, moment-to-moment guidance, luring us toward what is most beautiful and creative and kind and loving and just. What does it mean? What does it mean right now to receive your wisdom? What are you speaking to us in this moment? We open ourselves to that. In Jesus' name, amen.